Oh, well, thank you, Pam, for filling in this morning. And we do pray for Larry and Sue as they travel this weekend. And uh, we miss them, but uh, we know they want to go see their kiddos. So uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. We're continuing our study there in Corinthians, uh, looking at chapter 7, verses 6 and 9, and 25 through 40. Chapter 7, 6 through 9, and then 25 through 40. Now, in the world's culture, uh, success is often defined, and in some ways, success is often defined as something like this. Uh, you, you go out, you get a job, you get married, and you have kids. That's just kind of like the expected way of doing things. Get a job, get married, have kids. And even in our culture, that's kind of an oversimplification of the matter, but, but we see this, even in our, our culture, this modern culture that we live in, uh, singleness is often kind of looked down upon, right? It, it's devalued in, in many respects. We think about singleness. You see a, a young bachelor and the idea, well, he needs to get settled down, right? He needs to get settled down and get married. And, and so you, you start looking for the uh, matchmaking type thing, fix them up with this person, that person. Uh, and the same thing with, with girls as well, young ladies. They, uh, you see a young lady who is single. Oh, we got to get you married off, right? We got to find you a husband. And that's kind of the way we kind of think of things. We, we just kind of devalue singleness. We, we see singleness as kind of, a, a, you know, a lesser option, right? Uh, it's bad if you're single. You're somehow less valuable if you're single. But that's very contrary to what Scripture shows us. And in fact, what Scripture tells us is that singleness can be valued and it should be valued. In so many cases, what we see today in this text that we're looking at, 1 Corinthians 7, 6 and 9, and then 25 through 40, is this singleness is a beneficial gift from God to be valued by those to whom it has been given. Let me say that again. I want you to hear that. Singleness is a beneficial gift from God to be valued by those to whom it has been given. We need to see this. We need to understand that. Instead of devaluing singleness, we need to uh, accept singleness as a valuable gift from God in, in certain situations. Anytime that you're single, uh, whether it is maybe you've, and there's the two categories, right? We think about the two categories of singleness. There's those who are single who've never been married, but then there's those who are single because they were married, and they've either suffered death or divorce and they're no longer married. And so they're single again. And so both of those categories exist. We see those, both of those categories here in, in First Bastrop. Uh, that is a way of life for, for so people. They, they're single. They're, they're doing life on their own. And instead of devaluing them and looking down on their situation in any kind of degree, we should value singleness. If you're single, God has put you there, right? He's sovereign. Your singleness hasn't surprised him. And he wants you to use your singleness for his glory. And so we need to consider that today. 
We need to consider that today. We need to consider the benefit, the benefit and the value of singleness as a gift from God. Now, as we've been working through 1 Corinthians, and especially here in chapter 7, Paul has been talking a lot about marriage, and we've talked about marriage and divorce and and all kinds of things there. Now, in chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, he started talking about singleness a little bit, kind of gave a little blurb there, but then he continued his discussion on marriage. And so we kind of just skipped over that portion of singleness, about singleness, because I knew we were coming back to it. And so today we're going to pick that up today and we're going to cover this whole topic of singleness today in 7, 6, and 9, and then 25 through 40. So as we look at this, I want to point out two principles of singleness, two principles of singleness. Uh, And I hope that from this message, from this text, we will value singleness. And if if you are single... Or one day in the future, you find yourself single, that you would value your singleness as a gift from God. So let's read, read our text. And it is a rather long text. So I say this, if you're able to stand uh, for the duration of this, please stand. If you, if you can't, then just stay where you are. But if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word this morning, please stand with me. 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 7, verse 6. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And then skipping on down to verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. And you, are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if, you, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. 
I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his des desires under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her, hus if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think I too have the spirit of God. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired and inerrant word. And may he hide its eternal truth in all our hearts. And you may be seated. So as we, we look at our text this morning, the first principle that we see here in the text is that singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. And if it is a gift, it is a gift to be valued. Notice what Paul says there in verses six and seven. Now, as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Uh, singleness is a gift to be valued. Paul here says, I wish you were all as I am, right? Uh, Paul, the way Paul was, was he was a single man. Now, there's a lot of debate about whether he was always single or not. Uh, many people, most biblical scholars think that Paul was indeed married at one time because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? And Pharisees, to be honored as a Pharisee, uh, they typically expected a, a man to be married. Uh, that was just the way it was in the, the Jewish culture. A man was expected to, to be married. If you were going to be a leader in the nation, you were expected to be married because God says, be fruitful and multiply. And so you were expected to be, to be married and, and try to have kids and all of that sort of thing. And so they had that mentality. And so many people think that Paul was married at one time, but something happened. His wife, apparently, if he was married, his wife had passed away early on in the relationship, was, which was common in that day. Uh, so Paul, at this point in his life, uh, when he comes to his conversion in Acts, uh, at that point, at, at the very least, he was single. Something had happened to his wife or he wasn't married, one of the two, but he was single. And so as he began his missionary journey, he was a single man. And so Paul, he is talking to the Corinthians and he says, I wish that all of you were like I am. I wish you had this gift. And he said, it is a gift. It's a gift, right? It's a gift that God grants to some people. He saw it as a gift, a beneficial gift. And we ought to see it as a gift. We often look at it at the opposite, from, at the opposite direction, right? We, we look at it as a, uh, something to be devalued. 
Not a gift, but a burden. Oh, you're single? Poor thing. But Paul says, don't be be sad about me. I'm happy. I'm, I'm single. And this is a good thing. Right? It's a gift to be valued. It is a gift to be valued. In fact, the same, the word that he used there, but each has his own gift from God. That word is the word, the Greek word charisma. It's the same word that he uses to refer to spiritual gifts later on in chapter 12. The same word, charisma, the charisma of the spirit, the, the gifts of the spirit. And he uses that same verse, that same word here. This is the charisma of God. This is the charisma of God. It's a gift of God. And so singleness is a gift, not to devalue, but to value. And so if you're single, don't look down upon your singleness. Value your singleness. It is a gift to be valued. You see, this is the fallacy of Protestantism. Protestantism tends to look down upon singleness. And in fact, you'll see in, in many churches, and I've seen this in churches, where there's this expectation, even an, an unspoken qualification. If you're going to be a senior pastor, you have to be married. Right? If you're a youth pastor, I'll, we might take you as a youth pastor and, and we'll get you hit, 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 hooked up along the way. Right? We'll fix you up. We'll play some matchmaking and we'll get you married. But if you're a senior pastor, you've got to be married. And I've seen this. I've seen men in the ministry who that's the expectation. And so they go out and they find themselves a wife and they go and they get married and then they live as if they're not married. They give no time to their spouse. They pour all of their their life into the ministry and their wife is left home alone and lonely. And that does that that ends badly. Wives end up leaving. Children feel neglected. And in my thought, I'm thinking, maybe you should have stayed single. If you're not going to love your wife, even as Christ loved the church, if you're not going to give yourself to her and, and give her time, then maybe you should have just stayed single. So we don't need to devalue singleness. We need to value singleness. It is a gift from God to be valued, but it's also a gift for some. It is a gift given to some, right? It's not a gift given to everyone. Not everyone has the the gift of singleness. Paul says there, but each one, uh, one, uh, but but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And then he goes on to say to the married, to the unmarried and the widow, I would say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But, right, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn. And then on down in verse 36, He says, he kind of repeats the same idea. If anyone thinks that he has, he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, toward his fiance, in other words, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is not sin. Some people don't have the gift of singleness. They just burn. They want to to be with someone. They want to be in a relationship and they just don't do good on their own. I don't have the gift of singleness. 
I'm happy to be married. I'm, I'm grateful for my wife, and I like that companionship. Now, one day God may do things, and, and I may end up single, and maybe then I may have the gift of, He may grant me the gift of singleness. I don't know. I hope that doesn't happen. I always pray that I go first. I really do, because I don't want to be without my wife. And I'm sure a lot of you understand that, right? You, you don't like to be alone. You like being married. And so it is a gift for some. It's not for everybody. But hey, if you have the gift of singleness, value that gift. And maybe you only have that gift for a, a short time, right? It, it's not a thing that, that has to go on forever. It's not a thing that, that maybe God will call you to marriage. Maybe he will give you someone who lights your fire, right? Someone that, that he has made for you. But if you're single now, value your singleness. Value your singleness and use it for the glory of God. Uh, that, that's the thing about God's gifts. He can change them at times. He can change them. He can turn things around at unexpected times. I think about my own life. I haven't ever, I haven't always had the gift of preaching. As a young Christian, I had no gift of preaching. I couldn't even utter two words in front of, of people. I did not have the gift of preaching. But later in life, as I developed as a Christian, then God gave me the gift of preaching. It may be the same way with singleness. Maybe you're young and you're just not married. God has given you the gift of singleness, at least for this stage of your life. So embrace the singleness, enjoy the singleness and use that singleness, leverage your singleness for the glory of God. Or maybe you've been married and you liked being married, but now you're single again. Your spouse has passed on, but now you're single. You find yourself single. That is a, a God working in your life. He, he's given you the gift of singleness. And if you can and be single and not burn, as Paul says, Right? You're not given to sexual temptation or, or any of these types of things. You can handle being alone. Then embrace the singleness and use your singleness for the glory of God. So singleness is a gift to be valued by some Jesus kind of gives this same uh, indication in Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. You remember uh, earlier, just prior to this verse, he's talking about divorce. And then his disciples come to him in verse 10 and say, if such is the case with a man and his wife, with his wife, it is better not to marry. But Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And then there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for, they say, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. So it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. It's a gift for some. Now here, we talked about the fallacy of Protestantism, but now here's the, the fallacy of Catholicism. Because Catholicism, they go the other direction. They require all of their clergy to be single, right? They, they, they require all of their clergy to remain single, to be married to the church. 
And what do we see happening in Catholicism? Man, we've seen in the last few years a lot of uh, sexual misconduct coming out of the Catholic Church. And I just wonder again, in those cases, if those, some of those priests were allowed to marry, they obviously burned, right? Like Paul said, they were burning with passion. If they had been allowed to marry, could some of that sexual misconduct been avoided? And so we've got to be careful with that. This is a gift to be valued for some. Some people have the gift of singleness. Some people don't have the gift of singleness. If you have the gift of singleness, embrace it. Use it. Leverage it. For the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom. If not, seek a, seek a spouse. Look for a spouse. Look for a godly spouse. Now that's important. What does Paul say there at the end of this? Uh, a woman who is, who's, uh, whose husband has died, she is free to marry. Verse 39 says, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. We're going to talk about this later on in this book as well, because he's going to come back to this same kind of idea. But only in the Lord. If you're looking for a spouse, don't be looking out here in the rest of the world. Look in the church. Look for a Christian, a godly man, a godly woman to be your spouse. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, but be yoked with a believer. So if you don't have this gift of singleness, look for a spouse in the church. Whom you together, the two of you together, can honor God through your lives. So singleness is a gift to be valued by some. Second, the second principle that we see here is that singleness is beneficial. Singleness is beneficial. It's beneficial. And he, Paul kind of outlines at least three. Uh, some commentators give more than three, but we're just going to look at three today. Three ways that Singleness is beneficial. First of all, singleness is beneficial in persecution. Singleness is beneficial in persecution, in times of persecution. We haven't had to experience that a whole lot here in America, but uh, we're the minority. The rest of the world experiences a lot of persecution. Look at verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. Then he goes on. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. What's Paul saying here in all of this? Well, he is pointing to the fact that we are living in the end times. 
We are living in the end times. When Christ ascended into heaven, we began the end times. They began then. You don't have to, to look to the future, right? They began when Christ was raised from the dead and when he ascended into heaven. The end times began. We are living in the end times. And what do we see evident or what, what, what's one of the characteristics that we see in Scripture concerning the end times? Persecution will increase and increase and increase. And I believe that it gets more, uh, there, there's a, more intensity to persecution as we get closer to the end. But the church age, the end times, the eschaton, if you will, the end times in which we live, they are marked by persecution. And in fact, when Paul was writing this to the church at Corinth, within 10 years of him penning this book, Nero, Emperor Nero would come into power and he would begin his, the first great persecution of the church. Oh, he went after Christians left and right. In fact, Paul was beheaded by Nero. Peter was, was crucified upside down by Nero. Many of the apostles were martyred under Nero's persecution of the church. I mean, he perfected persecution, uh, the persecution of the church. He found all kinds of cruel ways to kill Christians. He would tie them up, sew them up in, in skins of animals and allow dogs to tear them in two. He, he would dress them in wax clothing and then tie them to trees in his garden and light them on fire to illuminate his garden. Oh, he loved to torture Christians. And throughout history, what's a, a great way that you can really torture a Christian? You torture their family in front of them. You, you take a man and you put his wife and his kids before him and you torture them. Now, the underground church in North Korea has been underground for a long time. In the 1950s, they were truly underground. The underground church in North Korea had dug a system of tunnels in the earth and they would go underground and they would go into these tunnels and that was their church building. That was their place of worship. They would gather underground and, and worship. Well, there in the 1950s, the government came through. They happened to come through this one area and they were building roads and they discovered this underground church meeting in these tunnels underground. And they went in and they arrested all the Christians. They pulled them out. They arrested them. They took them to the nearest town and they put them on trial before 30,000 people. And they said, deny Christ or die. And the church said, we can't deny our Lord. And so... The officials went into that little bunch of Christians and they pulled out their kids. And they put a noose around the necks of their children. And they told their parents, deny Christ or your children die. 
And those faithful Christian parents cried out to their children, Oh, be strong, children. Be strong in the Lord. Our time is short. We'll see you in glory. And they watched their children hang for their faith in Jesus Christ. And then they laid the rest of the church out on the ground and they revved up the pavement compactor and drove it over them. And as the, as the big roller crushed the bodies of these Christians, they sung out praises, hymns of praise to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But in times of persecution, Oh, it's valuable to be single. To not have to suffer to see your children, your wife, your spouse murdered in front of you. Paul says because of these troubled times, because of the persecution that will come upon the church, singleness is beneficial. Imagine Paul in all of his travels. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. Can you imagine if he had a family tagging along with him? Singleness is beneficial in times of persecution. Second, singleness is beneficial in service. Singleness is beneficial in service, service to the Lord. Look at verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried, the unmarried woman, the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Singleness is beneficial in one's service to the Lord. You just think about how life is when you're married. When you're married, like Paul says, your interests are divided. Your interests are divided. You have to give attention to your family. If you're married, you have to give attention to your wife. That's a command of the Lord. You have to love your wife, support your wife, and, and be with your wife. You have to give them some of your attention. That means you can't give all of your attention to the ministry of the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying. Look, he's saying, look at my life, man. I'm able to devote my full attention to the ministry of the Lord and nobody else. Nobody else gets hurt in this process. I get to give my full attention to the service of the Lord, the ministry that the Lord has called me to. So it's beneficial for service. Second, it's or third, it's beneficial for sanctification. It's beneficial for, for sanctification. Notice there again, uh, just go back to that little verse there. Uh, go back to the, the second part of what I just read there. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. She is devoted to her sanctification. 
If you're married, you can't give all your time to reading and prayer and, and devoting yourself to your sanctification, can you? No, you got to divide your attention. You got to give your attention to some attention to your spouse, to your husband. You've got to take care of him and, and make sure he's all right, right? Uh, there, you got to give and take in, in a marriage relationship. But if you're single, man, you can devote all your time to your relationship with the Lord. All the time that you would give to a spouse, now you can turn around and I'm going to devote that time to be with the Lord, to develop my relationship with him, to invest in my holiness before God. And so... Singleness is beneficial for service and sanctification. Man, if you're single, don't let this time go to waste. Right? Don't let that time go to waste. Take the time that you would be giving to a spouse and give it to the Lord. Use it, leverage it for his honor, his glory. Use it to serve the Lord. Yeah, you've got a job, you've got other things to do, but that time that you would be spending with your family, with your wife, with your, your kids, give that to the Lord, direct it to him. Don't blow it away on hobbies and the useless things of this world. Devote it to the Lord, give it to him. Make a kingdom impact for Christ. Man, start building up your, your treasures in heaven. Maybe you'll be married one day. Maybe a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, God's going to put a, a young woman or a young man in your life or uh, an old woman, an old man in your life, wh whatever your case may be, right? He's going to put somebody in your life and, and maybe at that point you'll be married again and, and you're going to have divided attention. But right now, and whatever stage of life you are in right now, if you're single, man, use that opportunity to honor God with your life and give your life to the service of the Lord and to your sanctification. Don't waste your singleness. Don't waste your singleness on worldly pursuits. Use your singleness for the service of the Lord and for your sanctification, for your relationship with Jesus Christ. In seminary, uh, I had a professor, a highly respected, Dr. E. Earl Ellis. Dr. E. Earl Ellis. Man, when I, I learned about Dr. Ellis, uh, he, he, biblical theology was his specialty and that's what I wanted to, I wanted to, to major in biblical theology in my seminary in seminary and so uh, he taught the theology of Paul in seminary and man I just I couldn't wait to get there I had a few other prerequisites I had to take before I could get into the class but man I was looking forward to being in Dr. Ellis's class his theology of Paul class I, I wanted to, to get into that class and learn from this man I mean he was a scholar of scholars he, that's just who he was. And his signature was a bow tie. So that's why I'm rocking the bow tie today. I just thought, it, uh, talking, just thinking about Dr. Ellis, I just had to throw on the bow tie today in, in, in memory of him. Uh, I got to take his Theology of Paul class in the fall of 09, and he passed away in the spring of 2010. I just got in there. But I'm so thankful that I got to take that class under Dr. Earl Ellis. But Dr. Ellis, 
he was a highly intelligent man. And he was actually, uh, as he finished up his bachelor's degree, he was actually preparing to go into law school. Uh, he had finished his undergrad in pre-law and he was preparing for law school. He was going to be a, a lawyer, but he began to read the scriptures and he began to get into the word of God and, and God used that time to, to transform his interest. And he ended up devoting his life to biblical studies, to biblical theology and, and the study of scripture. And so he went on to seminary, he got his master's degree and then on to, and received his PhD from the, I think it was the uh, University of Aberdeen over in Scotland. I believe that was where it was. And uh, so he, he became a biblical scholar. Now he always desired to marry. He had that desire right? That, that's just a natural desire for a lot of us. He, he kind of wanted to marry, but as he looked at his call, the call of God on his life, and began to think about the hours that he would have to spend to devoted to the study of, of God's Word and to writing and to scholarship, he determined that he had the gift of singleness. And though he desired marriage, he didn't feel like he could give a spouse, his wife, the attention that was demanded of him by God. And so he determined to stay single, to embrace singleness and use his singleness for the glory of God. And he wrote like 12 different deep academic books. I mean, he really had a great impact on, on conservative scholarship not just here in America, but across, across the pond there over in Europe. He, he did many lectures over in, in many of the different universities over in Europe and Germany and, and Britain. And so he had a great impact on scholarship because he embraced his call to singleness. He devoted his life to the service of the Lord. But he also devoted it to his sanctification, too. Dr. Wolf, who was another professor of mine at Southwestern, uh, Dr. Wolf ended up being the executor of Dr. Ellis's uh, estate after he passed away. And as Dr. Wolf was going through Dr. Ellis's effects, uh, he, he found his prayer list. And it was an extensive prayer list. It started with the President of the United States, and it worked down through you know, his family, his friends, his, his uh, brothers and sisters in the ministry there, his co-workers at school, and all the way down to there was one entry for a shoeshine boy in some third world country that he met, and he was praying for his soul. What time he wasn't spending in the, the academy, devoting his life to, service of, to the service of the Lord, he spent on his knees in prayer to the Lord, praying not for himself, but for everybody else. He devoted himself to service and sanctification. On the other end of the spectrum, of course, there is Lottie Moon. We all know Lottie Moon. Uh, she's the name of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. 
Lottie Moon was a highly intelligent woman. Uh, she graduated with a bachelor's degree from the, the female counterpart to the University of Virginia in her day. But she graduated with a bachelor's degree and she didn't stop there. She was one of the first women to actually go on in education and earn her master's degree, which was almost unheard of in, in her day. Right? This was just right after the Civil War. And she went and she earned her master's degree. Oh, she had many suitors. In fact, she had an offer, right? A, a guy proposed to her, a guy who was a professor at, the, uh, at Harvard University, wanted her to marry him. And she turned him down because she felt like God was calling her to missions. And you know, when she began to feel this call, the International Mission Board, the Southern Baptist International Mission Board, they weren't sending women, uh, single women, as missionaries out into the world into far, to farm mission, missions. But she felt the call. And she stayed in there. She devoted herself to the service of the Lord. And it wasn't long that the policies changed. And she ended up being uh, one of the first female missionaries to go over to China. And she devoted her whole life to proclaiming the gospel to the lost peoples of China. Teaching when she teaching in the daytime and then in our off time, she would go further inland and take the gospel to the lost souls of China. She helped develop one of the uh, established one of the first churches in China, which is still standing today. It is still standing today and it is a gospel preaching church today. And not only that, but she began to write letters back home encouraging, challenging Southern Baptists to give to international missions. And she called the Southern Baptists, do this. Just give the first or the first week before Christmas. Give that first week to, to observe a week of giving to international missions. And the first Lottie Moon Christmas offering raised enough money to send three new missionaries out on the foreign mission field. And today, the Lottie Moon mission offering is sending thousands of missionaries out into the world, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Lottie Moon leveraged her singleness for the glory of God by devoting herself to God's service and her sanctification. Oh, dear single person, whomever you are, if you're single, no matter what stage you are in life, use your singleness for the glory of God. Use your singleness for the glory of God. Singleness is a beneficial gift from God to be valued by those who have been, to whom it has been given. Value your gift of singleness. Even if it's for just a season, value your singleness. Use it, leverage it for God's glory. Use your singleness. Glorify God with your singleness.
Don't let it go to waste. Don't let it go to waste. Invest your time, not in worldly pursuits. Worldly pursuits that end in nothing. End with a little more money in the bank. End with a few more toys under the carport. Instead, invest your singleness in heaven and build up eternal treasures in glory, honoring God with your singleness. Now, if you're here today, single or not, and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, then I want to give you a chance today to hear the love of Jesus Christ. I want you to know, dear friend, that if you've never trusted in Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, God the Son, stepped out of heaven and he came to this earth and he lived a life of singleness and a life of perfect submission to the will of his Father in heaven. Even to the point that he went to Calvary's cross and he died on the cross for your sins. So that if you trust in him and you surrender your life to him, he will save you and give you eternity in heaven. If you'll only trust him today. If you've never trusted in Jesus, don't leave here. Don't leave here on a road to judgment but leave here today knowing your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Give your life to him today. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who you have a word for every one of us. For those who are married, Lord, we've heard your word in the past few weeks. For those who are married, and we thank you. But Lord, for those who are single, you have a word for them. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your guidance in our life. And Lord, I know that there, there are singles here in this, this church today. And Lord, I never want to see them to think that they are somehow less valuable because of their singleness, when in fact, Lord, they can leverage their singleness to be even a greater value for your kingdom. Oh, Lord, I pray that they would leverage their singleness for your glory. Oh, Lord, show them, give them that direction today. And Lord, I pray that if there's any today who do not know Jesus, Lord, let them turn to Christ today. Let them trust in him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.